Welcome to The Power of Ten, a brand new series brought to you by Decathlon. The Power of Ten is a mix of one-to-one interviews plus some positive health tips. It's all about providing advice on how to improve your well-being both in body and in mind. We've got an impressive selection of talented guests lined up for the podcast series, all ready to impart their knowledge, advice and secrets for improving your fitness. Each episode will provide you with an easy take-home message to help improve your mind and body. I'm Graham Bell, a five-time Olympic skier turned reporter and presenter. I've been to a total of 10 Winter Olympic Games. So what can I say about today's guest? Colin Jackson is one of the UK's greatest ever athletes. On a memorable night in Stuttgart in 1993, he ran 110 metres hurdles in 12.91 seconds, setting a world record that stood for a staggering 13 years. He set the indoor world record for 60 metres hurdles the following year, and that record of 7.30 seconds still stands today. His medal haul across his career is staggering. Two Commonwealth golds and two silvers, three European indoor golds, four European golds, one indoor world championship gold and three silvers. And in the world championships, he's won two golds, two silvers and a bronze, plus a silver at the 1988 Olympics in Seoul. Following his exceptional career, Colin joined the BBC's athletics commentary team and has covered every major athletics event since 2004. He has since become an important figurehead for diversity, inclusion and mental health. He speaks from his heart, openly and honestly, about the challenges faced throughout his career, anxiety, eating disorders, race and sexuality. Colin is a member of the steering panel of Sport Relief and also an international inspiration ambassador for UNICEF as well as a founding and fronting member of Go Dad Run, a campaign for prostate cancer. And he still finds time to do things like present a weekly radio program with his sister and compete in Celebrity MasterChef and reach the final of Strictly Come Dancing in 2005. And now he's taking on the ice, appearing in the next series of Dancing on Ice, alongside yours truly. So a warm welcome to the Power of Ten, Colin Jackson. Hey, Graham, it's a real <laughs> hey, pleasure. Colin. I'm sorry for the intro. Uh, I, if I'd have known it was going to be this long, I would have retired much <laughs> earlier in my sport, so you just have to mention one thing. <laughs> Extraordinary that your indoor world record still stands, you know, 26 years after you broke it. It is a crazy world record, but, you know, it's one of these things where, you know when everything lines up perfectly well, and I had an exceptionally good start. My contact on the floor was strong. Everything was just fast about the, the race itself. And I was sprinting faster than I've ever sprinted before. I won the European indoor title for the 60 meter flat the same year that I broke that world indoor record. So I was very fast anyway, and everything just came together. And it's very rarely you have that moment where you truly feel you cannot do anything better. So I remember when I crossed the line and I looked at the clock, I thought it was a little bit slower than it actually was. Um, and so my training partner who was in the race said to me, no, no, you need to look at the clock again properly and you'll see what time it says. And when I saw it was a world record, you know, inside you, I was like, yes. <laughs> but outside I was like, play it cool, Colin, play it cool. <laughs> So looking back at your, your athletics career, what would you say was the highlight? What was the highlight of all those achievements? Do you know what? It's really odd. 
Um, but I'm going to say something that a lot of people will think, well, that's slightly random, but um, is winning the World Junior title at the age of 19. And, and the reason why that is so special to me, it's because I had, I had a lot of problems going into that competition. Um, I was the favourite. I was clearly the favourite uh, in the world uh, to take the title. But I, I got injured about three weeks out and I wasn't sure whether I was actually going to make it to the start line of the World Junior Championships. I was selected actually to do the long jump, to be in the relay team and to, to do the hurdles at those particular competition. Um, and they pulled me out of everything slowly. So because I wasn't able to jump, so they pulled me out the long jump. Then they needed to name the relay squad and I wasn't running. And all was left for me to do was the hurdles on that particular occasion. And I got to the start line and I was very anxious. Getting through the rounds was okay. And then I blasted in the final, uh, won that title, um, set the fastest time, or oh, second fastest time ever as a junior in the event. And I say the rest is history because that kind of gave me the confidence that I can perform under pressure. I can deliver when required, really. So talking of delivering under pressure, we're in the middle of uh, intense training for Dancing on Ice. Are you aching in places that you didn't know you had? <laughs> Listen, I'm bending in places I didn't realize <laughs> I had to bend in. It is the most challenging thing I've done by far. You know, trying to learn to hold a body posture. And uh, as you know yourself, you know, you make one slight, slight turn too far to the left and your whole body goes in a direction. And it's yeah. so, so precise. I have a huge respect for ice skaters <laughs> uh, from here on in, trust me. When you finished your athletics career, you learned to ski. So you've been skiing for, for a few years now, but skating obviously is very different. Yeah, but you know, Graham, let's not hide the fact. Um, I retired at 36, started skiing at 37. If perhaps I started ice skating at 37, I'd be, <laughs> I'd be quite reasonable now. But you know, I'm 53 now and the body doesn't move the same way it did when I was in my 30s, for sure. I know, tell me about it. <laughs> tell me about it. I'm one year older. But you've always you've always maintained a high level of, of fitness, you know, mm. since you, you know, you never went into that stage of just being yeah. ex-sportsman, yeah. you know, drinking too much and eating too many pies. But you know what? There's numerous reasons for that. I think, A, I was lucky enough that um, my lifestyle still revolved around sport. And I, I have that love of, of training. I lost the love for competition of athletics. That's why I retired from the sport of athletics. I didn't want to compete anymore. You know, that drive had gone. But I still enjoyed the, the camaraderie of training and, and other sporting activities that didn't necessarily have to have a, a real head-to-head decision-making, you know? That's why I think I've been really, really, really lucky. Once you're, you're, you're involved in it, your lifestyle is revolved around health and fitness. It does make life so much easier. Uh, to continue, I feel. The great thing that I have, uh, I mean, I don't know how often you run uh, 110 meter hurdles anymore, but I still ski every season. Yeah, you you don't run hurdles. So I have the advantage over you that, that I still have to get fit every winter for my sport to enjoy my sport. And I still very much enjoy it. Whereas, you know, athletics is something that you just can't do. Yeah, and certainly my particular event, you know, because um, I always say to people, you don't invite people for, around your house for a, a quick hurdle, do you? But you can enjoy <laughs> the preparation of the hurdles. So you can, you can go to the gym, you can lift weights, you know, you can do a bit of cardio, you can do some hill sprints, you can do the stretching, all the flexibility stuff. And I thoroughly enjoy those other aspects of my lifestyle, I guess. And how important is fitness uh, for your mind? What role does it play in de-stressing? 
ultimately the most important thing. It's your body and your mind. There's no separation point. It, it all works together as one. So um, because I truly believe that, that's why I know I feel, always feel at my best and most mentally alert when I'm at my physical fittest. So I've got to really push all my boundaries, really. Challenge myself um, to something new, cerebrally, and then along with that being physical, then I feel alive. I feel like I can literally achieve anything. And I guess this is one of the, the pluses of us doing something like Dancing on Ice, for example, because it is very physical in, 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 in its action, but also we're being very cerebral by learning uh, a yeah. new skill along the way. So it's nearly the perfect thing for us. Yeah, I mean, I noticed it uh, in, in lockdown. Um, I actually learned to flat water canoe in racing canoes. So very, very unstable, very wobbly boats, very fast. Um, and it was the fact that I was learning something new, learning a new sport over those weeks of lockdown uh, that really helped me get through it. Because, you know, okay, I was going out on my bike and I was running, but it was it was the kayaking that really kind of, yeah, that really caught me. And again, that's the, the, that, that's the thing that's the most exciting when you can truly do that. You can get involved and it just takes you on a journey. I think for me, at the moment, it's the only thing that I'm doing that takes me away from reality. Because once I'm in the ice rink, there's nothing else I focus on. How important is vanity um, <laughs> looking good in front of the camera? Obviously, we're going to be competing on Dancing on Ice, wearing some very, probably some very skimpy outfits, figure hugging. Um, how important is vanity? Oh, massively. Remember who you're talking to. I don't have to remind you. that <laughs> You know me well enough. That, that is hugely important to me as well. Because, you know, again, if you feel good and you feel comfortable with the way that you look, um, everything else around you fits in. But, and this is really the real important thing, never make those things become obsessive because when they become obsessive, then they become destructive as well. So you can have that passion about it and that sense of like, okay, I want to achieve that. This is how I want to be. But please, please, please never make it obsessive because that's why I fell down that path, you know, of bulimia. So, you know, I, I understand it now. It never really leaves you that, that kind of feeling, but now I can control things much better. So yes, vanity is very much part of it. Um, but I know the best way and the safest way to look good and feel good about myself, which will ultimately, hopefully, help my performance. Yeah, and that, um, that you explained all that in the Panorama documentary. It was called Sports Hidden Crisis, and it was about uh, you know, eating disorders in sport. And really, really interesting. It's still available, I think, on, uh, on the BBC iPlayer. And it is fascinating that, you know, that you say that you were competing and you're eating probably, you know, a quarter of what you needed in calories. Do you know, I was shocked. I went to see a nutritionist um, during the show and she went through the, my diet as should have been with the training schedules that I had. And she points at me, she said to me, how much of this were you actually eating? And I literally would have just taken like tiny bit of what would have been a healthy, balanced diet for what was necessary for me. And then she started explaining how I would have felt. She was spot on with all the symptoms of me being undernourished. Um, you know, one of the things you'd always feel like what you expect is that when you're undernourished that you'd be weakened and you'd sleep all the time because of, you know, because you, you're exhausted. But yeah, I was, exhausted but i could never sleep and it was explained to me the reason why is because your body's always looking for food 
So it always stays alert. So you never fully rest. Now all this I never knew, but I was suffering from insomnia. And that was just because my body was starving all the time. And these little things, I really wish I knew when I was running. I said to her straight at the end, I really wish I knew you as my nutritionist when I was competing, because it would have made a massive difference to my performance level. I mean, I did all right, but I mean, it would have made a massive, massive difference. You picked up on it in, in the program about the cyclists. I mean, if you look at what Bradley Wiggins did ahead of winning the Tour de France, some sports you do have to push those boundaries and it, it can come very, very close to being dangerous. And I think that's one of the most important things that we've got to really recognize. And you remember most young people in sport, we have no life experience. So we've come out of school and we've done our sport and we kept in our sport. And we're in this cocoon of trying to be successful. And you know, you look at somebody and think, well, they look painfully thin. That's the way I have to look. And you, you only, what happens then, you only apply how you think is the right way to get there. And you don't really seek the knowledge because you don't think the knowledge is there because it's never explained to you. I think one thing good about the Panorama Doc is that people understood now you, you must ask questions, you must challenge your governing bodies, you must seek help if you're finding yourself on, on, on these boundaries, really. And if you don't seek help in the places you think you should, then complain. Because nowadays, complaints will be listened to and dealt with quite severely. So that's a good thing. There's plenty in the press right now and uh, on television and radio about diversity in sport. Um, where do you think we are in 2020 with this? Do you know, we're just in a different place is the way I'd say, Gray. I wouldn't say we, we've moved that much further ahead because if we're still at the moment, we, we're forcing the, the chief of the FA to step down, then we'll be, that means we haven't moved forward at all from the 70s. Always one of the big things for me, I always remind people that it's all about education. And you've really got to take time to re-educate yourself. Everybody's got to really just take a check of themselves um, and, and understand that, you know, people are not being oversensitive. You've just got to be sensitive to what you say. I think what he described in, in the time, he called the black players coloured. Well, like, that's just not acceptable language. And people were going, well, why? Because that is something from the past where it's just as derogatory to black people as the N-word. So you've got to understand that. Remember, perception is reality. And if you perceive that language as being racist, then you feel that it's racist. There are so many great words to describe people in a decent way in the English language. You know, use the words that you know that won't offend and just stick to it. And that's it. There's, that, that is always the key. Yeah, for me, there's no two sides to this argument. You know, there is, it's an absolute, you know, racial discrimination is is bad and that is an absolute. And, uh, you know, to hear people saying, oh, well, you know, let's look at both sides. There isn't another side, in my opinion. I think sometimes people got to re remember as well that when you're black in the Western world, you're a minority. And when you're a minority, you've got to think about we're not being oversensitive. We're just trying to be equal. And so whatever we try and work hard at, we don't really want to feel that we need to work any harder than anybody else to get the success. If we go to the police because somebody has done something against us, we want to feel like we've got equal treatment in authority. You know, if you're a young black kid nowadays, when you're watching all the stuff going on TV, if somebody robbed you, would you go to the police and ask them for help? It'd be really difficult for you to be honestly go to 
authority, the people who are supposed to protect you in society, you don't trust. That is not a nice feeling to be dealing with. So it's those everyday issues where people have got to just slightly be aware and take ownership of stuff. You know, I mean, there's no hiding there was slavery. There was no hiding there was racism back in 18th and 19th century in that sense. Just admit to that and say, we know better now. It's those little things where, where people then get comfortable with talking openly how you feel and then how we can address things. What about your own personal experiences? Have you ever had uh, that discrimination against you in sport? In every walk of life. I mean, you know, the first thing people do see, you're black, right? So that's the first thing they see, I think. So certainly growing up, things that um, that people forget is kind of racism. Um, it's like when you come into immigration, we're all re- representing Great Britain as juniors. And as you're going through the, the customs, they're stopping you and letting your white mates go through and they're asking you questions. That's racism that we are dealing with every single day. And you can't say to me that is just because we just want to stop you. No, no. He's white, I'm black, it happens all the time, that's clear. It's it's no argument. Going into shops and the security guards are following you around the shops because they think that you're going to steal something. You're in a group with your mates playing your music on the street when you're young, 15, 16, and people come, they see you as a gang and they cross the road thinking that you're going to mug them only because you're black. People will think to themselves, Oh, does that happen on a regular basis? That's what we grow up with. Never mind the name calling. So those are the everyday things that we have to deal with being black in a Western world. Same in the world of sport, I guess. Um, I mean, that's one of the reasons I, I, I didn't play cricket. Um, I went to athletics because athletics seemed to be a sport that accepted black people to be successful. When I was young, cricket seemed to be a sport where unless you played for the West Indies, you weren't getting any team. So... It was very much the reason I went to athletics. Yeah, when you've got all the coaches and all the selectors and everybody in, in the hierarchy is, is white, it doesn't look like there's a place for you. They just stop your career. If, they don't, if your face doesn't fit, you're not going. Whilst in the world of athletics, of course, if I cross the line first at our trials, there's a lot of room for me to argue. So <laughs> it's, it, was a, it was a sport which felt, I, I felt instantly um, accepted in. In 2017, you came out as gay. Um, how hard was that to do? I mean, I've known you for years. It's For me, it's been, it hasn't made a blind bit of difference. <laughs> I remember I was talking to a friend of mine. She asked me to do an interview about the whole story, about being a black um, sportsman. And, um, and then I, I did the, the interview like in the March. And then I was away in Switzerland. And uh, one of my mates rang me and said, oh, I know what you'll be doing next June. And I was like... What's the, what's the hell is he talking about? Because I had no clue what he was talking about. And I said, what are you talking about? He went, oh, you've come out, have you? I went, sorry? And he said, oh, I heard about the interview you did. I was like, oh, yeah, I did that age ago. And he was like, yeah, but it's coming on the newspapers now. And I was like, hang on a minute. I thought I came out like in 2006 or 2004. And he was like, no, I don't think you did. I was like, really? I said, oh, okay. Well, to me, then I've come out twice. So even though everybody, you know, close quarters and all that knew the story going on forever and ever, amen, it was quite funny for me. But also I got lots of messages from youngsters. Now, this is where you, you don't realise when, when you do something like that how you can really influence other people's lives in such a positive manner. And that was really important um, 
in the end to do. And I felt like, oh, I didn't realize that it was going to make so much of a difference. But it did make a huge positive difference for lots of youngsters that were in the sport and doing stuff. And I thought, oh, well, that's good. Because if you can do something that's you without any effort and it makes a huge positive impact for people, then it's a win-win situation. Yeah. So moving on to Dancing on Ice, the near victory that you had in Strictly. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> how much has that motivated you to win this one? Because uh, Mylene Class has tipped you to win. I heard about Mylene saying that. Did she not see me on the skate the other day when we were doing our get together? <laughs> but as you know, you know yourself, right? Th this is, it's really different. Because most probably I'll say, most, me and you, we could say we could social skate, which is very different you know, to what these, I'm going to say these lot, like these lot are expecting from us to do, you know? Straight leg here, push, make sure you extend through the toes, make sure the line is like this, make sure you're doing another. I'm like, whoa, whoa, wait, 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 wait. You've got to have perfect posture. So you, you have to elongate your neck. So you have to look up, you have to pull your shoulder blades back, arch your back so that your, your whole top line is, is kind of elongated and lifted. So you're talking about being lifted with great posture of the upper body. Meanwhile, with your legs, you have to then flex your ankle as far forward as you can, bend your knee, but don't break at the hip. It's like, I call it the bad squat. Because if you're ever in the gym and you're doing squats, that's the last thing you do is push your knee forward past your toe. And that's exactly what you do on skates. And so when you're trying to perfect this, you know, technique, um, I, you know, we've got limited time to do it, you know, and I know we all have a limited ice time, but, you know, I don't think my body could spend any more than two hours on the ice before breaking to pieces because literally you're in such an odd position. Today, I not long come off the ice now and we were doing some backward crossovers and backward crossovers and, and it's just like, okay, this is really getting to me now because... I know how it feels and I do it right one day and then you get on the ice the next day and you just can't do backward crossovers. You're like, yeah, what's happened yeah, here yeah. now? I've already gone to bed. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what I want to do is do things well. If I let myself down, you know, I mean, I, I, it's funny enough, I dragged Cabrera down on the ice today. We were just doing backward crossovers and the two of us hit the, hit the deck today. So funny. We got it on CCTV. <laughs> so you will see it sometime on social media. But we both hit the deck today. And of course, we just burst out laughing because she goes flying in one direction. I go flying in the other. Um, but you know, that's all part of it, isn't it? You're trying to hone this skill. You're trying to get the perfection um, in every single step that you do. And of course, you're going to fail on some occasions. If you're not falling, you're not trying. That's exactly right. Just make sure that you've got some decent protection on elbows, you know. I did a, a three-turn and fell just doing a three-turn, right, I, I, from nowhere. My feet just went from under me and I just, boom. When I hit the deck, I felt like I had whiplash. It felt like it went right through the hole of my neck. It just shocked me. So, yeah, you've got to get used to that as well. Yeah, so it all sounds like good fun. We, we've talked ourselves <laughs> out of this show already. <laughs> If you were to look at things, we, we touched a little bit on this. Um, you know, we've talked about training the body, uh, training the mind. What do you specifically do to help kind of, you know, train the mind? I do yoga anyway, in that sense. So that kind of helps. And there's one particular position in, in yoga, which is 
One of the most difficult ones to do, and people always laugh when you say this, and until you speak to a yogi and you let them tell you as well, is the corpse position. When you're just lying on the floor, don't move. And when you lie on the floor and you realize how difficult it is for you to not move, because you always want to fidget, something doesn't feel in the right place, and it's not about that. It's just lie down and embrace the fact that every part of your body is connected to the floor. And then, stop your mind from drifting because what happens then when you get to the body completely relaxed your mind starts going oh, i haven't paid the electricity bill yeah have i put the car on a meter somewhere and oh yeah i'm gonna go to christmas shopping on thursday you know you've got to clear the mind so it's again learning how to clear the mind have that real sense of cleansing the mind and just be in the moment and when you go into something like the corpse position, just think about every single part of your body that's hitting the floor and just relax in that position. And it's really hard to switch the mind off. But if you can learn to do that a little bit, just detox the mind by switching it off and just be mindful for the moment. And you only need to do that for 10 minutes. If you can't find 10 minutes a day for yourself, then you can never give the best of you to everybody. So invest in yourself for just 10 minutes a day and you'll make a difference. And we touched on it a little bit earlier with learning new skills as well. So if you were to, to take up a new skill, so your brain is thinking so much about learning this new sport that you can't think about anything else. It's impossible because you're, 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 you're thinking so hard on what it is you're learning to do. And I, I find that that is very useful. No, that's 100%, a, a huge, great tip as well. And we say we did touch on that. And, and again, that's that being mindful for that particular moment, isn't it? You're in that moment. I laugh when I say this now, but one of the most therapeutic things for me is like cleaning. When I'm cleaning the house, you know, I just distract myself from everything else and I'm just cleaning. Some people find cooking can be quite relaxing themselves, you know, because they're being creative. Um, and again, being that creative stimulates the mind in a positive way. So it's always finding what works for you. There's something for everybody. You've just got to find it. Talking of cooking, uh, they say you are what you eat. Um, we've touched on some of this already, um, but how important is, is the balanced diet? And, and, and what are the things that, uh, that, that you have that maybe stray you from the path? <laughs> Well, you know already, I don't have to tell you about my sugar intake, right? <laughs> it's always a little bit over the top. I have cravings like everyone else, but I have that ability to be able to suppress them. So um, a balanced diet is really important. I mix stuff as well. So for example, today now, I'm just, I'm just all vegetables. And like yesterday, I was all fish. And the day before that, I was just all breast, chicken breast. I, I don't miss any food groups but I will just change the proteins every so often. And that seems to work. So a balanced diet is the most important thing because you don't want to really leave yourself short of anything. Because if you start again having those cravings, remember I said it kind of starts to steer you into that obsession and then you want that, you want it too much and that's the only thing that's in your mind. Just keep yourself fueled, keep yourself energized, keep yourself having aspiration, um, keep being inspired and use every single moment of this life that we have and make it a good bit of it. So it's time to shift gear now and move on to the decathlon section of the podcast. It's one of the toughest athletic contests out there, made famous by Daley Thompson. 
but hopefully these questions won't be quite as tough. So this is it, the Decathlon, brought to you by Decathlon. So let's go for it. Question one, what's your exercise of choice? Oh, that's a good one. Most probably press-ups, you know. Do you work out alone or with friends? Um, with friends. What time of day do you prefer to exercise? Morning. What's the best thing about exercise? Uh, you feel amazing after. How do you refuel after a workout? Protein shakes. How do you relax? Uh, sit down and watch Netflix. <laughs> What's the hardest thing about keeping fit? Oh God, the nutrition side of it really. To make sure I've got enough nutrition for the exercise, yeah. And how do you maintain motivation? Desire to look good, vanity. And top fitness secret? Yeah, get to bed before 11 o'clock. And final question, uh, it's Saturday night. How do you kick back and relax? Okay, I'd have a hot bath, first of all, put a onesie on, come downstairs and have potentially here a small bar of chocolate and a cup of Horlicks and just watch a TV. (laughs) (laughs) A huge thanks to my guest this week, Colin Jackson. But before we go, out of all the things we've talked about, Is there one key health and fitness message that you'd like to finally impart to the listeners? Yeah, I would say look after your nutrition because your six pack is made in the kitchen and not in the gym. Brilliant. Thank you for joining me. And thank you all for listening. Thank you, Colin. My pleasure. And we'll see you on the in an ice rink soon. Very soon. The Power of 10 was brought to you by Decathlon. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss out on the next episode.